Welcome to the Writer's Spotlight, a project brought to you by Exhuming the Bones, the podcast for the Ohio chapter of the Horror Writers Association. Megan Hart writes books. Some of them use bad words, but most of the other words are okay. Some of them hit bestseller lists and win awards, and some don't, but that's the way it goes. She loathes the feeling of corduroy or velvet, and modern art leaves her cold. She writes a little bit of everything from horror to romance, though she's best known for writing steamy fiction that sometimes makes you cry. Thanks for having me (laughs) and us. (laughs) So what does your bio leave out that you want to share? That I I love spec fic. I love writing horror, science fiction, fantasy. I spent most of my career writing steamy romance, but my heart really lies with things that go bump in the night. I guess that's what my my bio leaves out. And we can all relate to that here. (laughs) I love love scary stuff. (laughs) You're in the right place. (laughs) Absolutely. Next to Megan is her husband, Rob Bowley. Rob Bowley (laughs) likes to make blank pages darker. He lives with his wife and his daughter in Dayton, Ohio. By day, he manages and analyzes big data. Yet each morning before sunrise, he rises to strike terror into the hearts of unfortunate characters dwelling in his novels, stories, and poems. He co-founded Howling Unicorn Press with his wife, author Megan Hart, to conjure (laughs) tales that thrill, chill, and fulfill. Great bio, Rob. How about anything juicy, extra that you may have left out of your bio that we get to have since we're talking intimately here? Um, I guess two things. I have a lifelong love of Batman. And oh, if yeah, I, I would say sure. one one unachieved writing goal is someday I would love to write some like approved Batman story. Like I, that would be like the writing, my ultimate writing achievement. I would love that. I also love like for the past, gosh, I guess two years now, I've just been loving making cocktails. I try a new mm-hmm. cocktail recipe a week and I've got like a binder full of cocktail recipes. I just, I love, I love making cocktails. <laughs> can, I, can I ask a follow-up question of your favorite cocktail that you've ever come across? One of my current favorites right now is I just think it's such a good balance of flavors. It's called the 19th on Fab. Me and my daughter had a vacation to New York City over the summer and we went to Tom Colicchio's craft restaurant and that's their, their signature cocktail is, is this cocktail. It is, it's tequila, jalapeno syrup, lime juice, and passion fruit puree. And it is just like the perfect balance of flavors. I could, I could drink them all day. Like, it's like <laughs> a sweet and a spicy. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's so good. Like it all really ties together very well. And it's, it's a, it's a beautiful drink. It's it also just, it is just like literally a beautiful drink, the color, the hue of it, the, it's just, it's a wonderful drink. I love it. David, I know you're loving that. Oh yeah, I'm 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 gonna have to try that out because like we grow our own jalapenos, but we also grow our own passion fruit. So oh really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. There's an Ohio type of passion fruit, so it's like growing mm-hmm. in our front yard. We should look into that. We should. <laughs> we grow jalapenos, tomatoes. What else do you have? Cucumbers, peppers. Working on my spice garden. See, you, not only was your bio really nice, like you even mentioned me in your bio, and I didn't mention you, and I feel bad. But also, you have a better follow up with like what's exciting. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're I'm working on getting a, a perennial herb garden. Um, just things that will come back. I I do love to have plants in the yard, but only things that come back every year on their own. I do not like to plant things new every year <laughs> or weed. So I'm not a great, yeah. I'm not a very good gardener. But I well, really need. Well, no, we'll have to get in touch because I got some. <laughs> I got some connections that are kind of like down towards your guys's neck of the woods. That might be helpful. Cool. Cool. Well, David, I think you have the next question up. So I guess we'll start with Megan and then move on over. What was it that brought you or introduced you to horror as a genre? I, and according to my mom, this is true. I have been a horror lover since I was a toddler. I don't know if you all have ever heard of the movie, The Legend of Boggy Creek. Came out sometime in the 70s. No. Okay. It is a very interesting movie. We watched, we rewatched it recently. (laughs) Um, It's about, it's based on a real life Sasquatch encounter. Mm. And it came out sometime in the 70s. And my According to my parents, I insisted that they take me to the drive-in to see it. I was, I don't know, two, three, whatever. So I've just, I have loved everything spooky, scary ever since. 
when I was, I think, in fourth or fifth grade, I asked for a, ventrilo- a ventriloquist dummy, which <laughs> we wow. have, and he has not yet killed me, so I think I'm doing okay <laughs> with him. Um, but I've just, I just have always been drawn to like the spooky, scary stories, and I don't know why. Really, I just always <laughs> have, and I've loved. I would always go to the school library and pick out the Halloween collections, anything that was like a collection of monsters, aliens, and ghosts or something like that. And it was all mm. sorts of stories. And I would check that out from the library <laughs> all the time. And so I, I don't know. I don't know where it came from, but it, I've, I've been this way for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And then Rob, what about you? How did you get introduced to, or what brought you to horror as the genre? I mean, I, I feel like it, it's ingrained in my, my family, like on my, on my mom's side, I, I have an uncle, Uncle Daryl, who like at a stupidly young age exposed me to Halloween and Halloween <laughs> too. I think, I think as I remember it on the same night, like a back-to-back double feature mm-hmm. and that just scared the hell out of me, but I was like drawn to it and I loved it. And then um, also my dad is, has been a lifelong fan of Stephen King. So I, I, and he, you know, he had like a complete collection. So I, I devoured all of those as soon as I was, you know, uh, able to, to read and comprehend them. So I've just, I've always, I've always just enjoyed that. And I just feel like even, even like in first grade when we had like show and tell, I would always bring in like some weird toy, like, <laughs> like my, my teacher called me like the monster. She I think she actually called me like monster man. Cause I would always bring in some creature <laughs> and some like, some like, it wasn't anything like, it wasn't anything wholesome. It was always like some creature or monster and and even when I think back like the early uh I'm just gonna see if I can like mention Batman in every answer tonight like when I think about the the earliest like memories I have of reading Batman comics it it was like the scary ones it was like you know he's fighting this really creepy serial killer or there's a scene where the Joker chases this guy down the street and it's just these terrifying images and so I don't know I've always been drawn to being scared I guess now, you mentioned that about Batman, and that's something that is kind of, there's a few comics that come into my mind with that. And one is the Arkham Asylum series that came out like right when the game was coming out. And the visuals were always really twisted. And it was told from a really, it was told from the perspective of the building. And yeah. it showed at the very end that even Batman had uh, psychotic issues. Yeah. And then there was <laughs> another one recently, well, recently being like four years ago, maybe because I haven't read a lot in a while uh, for comics, but there was one called Gotham by Midnight. And it was a paranormal investigation unit of the GCPD. <laughs> and the, the artist for it was uh, the same artist who did 30 Days of Night. Oh, okay. Is that Stephen Niles? Ben Tipplesmith. Okay. I, I, I know because I have his little doodles and everything. <laughs> awesome. Huh. Yeah. I've Plus, heard, oh. um, you can't really see, but I have a Riddler tattoo. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just says it says riddle me this on it in like nice. a script. I love that. Uh, <laughs> so you both mentioned how you started to love horror, but when did you start to write it? So I started writing stories in elementary school, basically is like, as soon as I could write a story, mm-hmm. I wrote, I have a very vivid memory of going to uh, like the card shop when my mom went grocery shopping, there was a card store and they had magazines and they had all these um, vampire comics. <laughs> and so it was like scantily clad ladies on the front being menaced. <laughs> by is this vampire. where we get into the romance genre? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, clearly there's some things that imprinted on me. <laughs> Or I imprinted on. Um, and so I remember sort of like seeing that, you know, that the you know, there were these vampires and they were really compelling. And I went home and I wrote a vampire story. I didn't read the comic. I wasn't allowed to buy it, but I just saw that, like I flipped <laughs> through it and I, I illustrated it. And um, so I wrote vampire stories and that was before even reading Dracula, which I got my first copy of Dracula when I was maybe third or fourth grade at the, the Scholastic Book Fair. Where you used to be able to go and you could. I remember. Oh yeah, <laughs> everyone loved. Yeah, the that's... free book was so exciting, and so I got Bram Stoker's Dracula and just loved that. And so I just started writing stories, like just little, little blips, when I was in elementary school. And then when I was twelve, I started to read Stephen King, and I was like, whoa, 
people do this for a living? Like this is a job. <laughs> From then on, that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a writer. And I just started writing creepy, messed up sci-fi stories, horror stories, like all through high school. And then, you know, like, even through college. And I started writing romance in adulthood because at the time, and even now romance was it's a it's a hugely selling genre. I mean, it's very popular. And also I liked it. So that's how I kind of shifted into that. But I, I have always loved writing something dark or scary or creepy or <laughs> gross or anything like that. When you think about today, how you generate ideas, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned before artwork, comics, reading other people's work. Is, is it the same or are there other ways that you generate those ideas? So we actually bounce a lot of ideas off each other. Um, We'll take, if we're taking a drive somewhere and we're like, oh, you know, look, there's a ditch on the side of the road. What would you do if you (laughs) found a body in there? Or wouldn't it be weird if we were driving along and we stopped to pick up a hitchhiker and somebody got killed (laughs) or whatever, whatever it is. Not that we would ever do that. That's the benefit of having a relationship (laughs) that's creative. (laughs) I was going to say, most of us end up having our spouses say like, oh, you scare me, but you guys get to feed (laughs) off each other and say, you're not scary enough. I'll one up you, you know, that sounds delightful. (laughs) There, There is a lot of like, kind of sort of in the, you know, in the moments before drifting off to sleep and then in the darkness, I'll hear, what would you do if, and then it's this horrible, <laughs> horrible scenario. Of, I, I, I can't even, I can't even think of one that I would want to share. They're always awful. What would you, what would you do if this horrible thing happened or what would you do? And then we sort of riff off of that. Like, and then sometimes one of us will say, okay, you need to write that story. And yeah, sometimes we remember sure. it the next day and sometimes we don't. Did you, have you guys ever kind of had like a, I want it, no, I want it. And like a little fight over which one gets to write it. (laughs) No, we've, we've talked before about like, oh, we should, we should write like a duology with this same premise and like, and publish that as like a little Mm -hmm. uh, novelette or something, but I don't think we've ever actually done it, but we've never done it. (laughs) Yeah. We're not, we're definitely not competitive about like, you know, this is my idea. This is your idea. Cause we both just love to, I think we both just love reading the weird stuff each other come up with. Yeah. I love this beautiful chemistry that y'all have together because it's, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. And you can just tell that you inspire each other. And at the end of the day, I think that's what we all hope for. It's, Um, it's really nice. I'm really appreciative of it. And I, I love the back and forth that we have. And we took a really long road trip in May from Colorado. We drove from from Ohio to Colorado, then Colorado back. And I know I got a couple story ideas out of it. You did too, didn't you? I think so, yeah. And so it was the same trip, the same sort of, what would you do if, or whatever, things like that. But we got completely different story ideas and completely different yeah. stories. Yeah. Sure. I See, my husband knows whenever I'm like, oh, we, you know, I'm thinking about writing this story. He's like, let me go book the tickets. <laughs> he knows he's going to get dragged wherever that is. <laughs> Rob, would you tell us how you started to write within the horror genre? I I guess I've always written a little bit here and there. In college, I did some short stories. For the longest time, I I mainly just wrote poetry. It wasn't really until I became a a dad that I started, for whatever reason, I think, honestly, I think it was just because I was home more. And maybe I felt like I was a little more grounded and had more time to just be in front of a screen and write. Um, That I started writing fiction. And like from the get-go, it, it tended to be darker stuff. And really like the first book that I published was directly because of my daughter, because when she was four or five, like, you know, how kids are, they just want to watch the same thing over and over again. So we would always watch Snow White. Like we watched, we watched that, I don't know how many times a week. And at one point I just remember being on the couch and being like, you know, it's kind of lame that, you know, Snow White, she's under this curse and she gets a kiss and then everything's fine. Like, wouldn't it be better if the kiss sort of like kicked off this like viral stage of the curse and she woke up <laughs> a zombie. And like, oh I thought, like oh, that'd be a really good short story. And so I started writing it and it became a book and it became a trilogy. And now like the ninth book in the series is about to come out. So, so yeah, very much like being a, a dad is weirdly intertwined with me writing, <laughs> writing horror. <laughs> so do you still kind of get your idea generation through those relationships or how you guys have talked a lot about driving and seeing scenery? I, I feel like mine just come at the ran- most random times. It's almost like 
uh, when I'm in those like Zen moments of like, I'm just driving somewhere that I like, you know, the type of drive you do every day. And then like an idea pops in my head or I'm mowing the lawn or like whatever. Um, I feel like that's where I get like the random ideas. That's like the seed of a story. And then like the complications and the things that make things really terrible for my characters that all comes from just my general tendency toward anxiety and like worrying about things. <laughs> it's a really cool, like for me, writing is how I like channel what would be very destructive and anxious anxiety feelings. Instead of like worrying about what happens to myself or Megan or my daughter, I just fixate on what terrible things I can do to my characters. <laughs> and like, and there you go. Healthy that's redirection. Where, <laughs> that's where like all my like plot twists and things kind of come from. It's just that channeling that, that worrisome energy, I guess. That's a great segue because I'm curious, you know, we kind of talked about the setting and how you guys go on a trip together. And I love the idea that you both start with the same setting and then create entirely different stories. But can we shift gears and talk about, you know, how does it look when you and either one of you can go first, but how does it look when you're creating a character, like your process, once you have maybe your what if ideas, uh, how do you go from there? I just kind of like to feel it out as I go, like, I'll just, I'll dive right into a story and start writing and working with the character. And then a few days later, as I'm really, I've really gotten to know the character, then sometimes I have to go back and like, well, this doesn't make sense. This isn't the character that I've come to know. I don't, I'm not one of those writers that sits down and like fully develops this character in my head and knows everything about them before I even start writing. Like, I, I don't, I don't know if it, that's just not the process that works for me. Like, I like to get to know them as I write them and, and just kind of figure it out as I go. And, and then mm -hmm. sometimes that means going back and like, realizing that, no, this isn't the, the right thing for that character to do. I need to kind of rewrite that. That's how I do it. So that's an interesting question. And I'm glad you went first so I could have time to think about <laughs> it. Because I do feel that overall, I'm a, I am a character-driven writer. It's, um, I, I have a lot of deep point of view. I, I write a lot in first person or just single person point of view. So I do feel like I really dive into my uh, characters. But when I think about a story, when I'm starting with a story, I almost always start with a premise. And then, so here's the kernel of the idea and here's what would happen. Okay, so here's my character. Now, what is wrong with them? <laughs> Why are they a mess? Why is this their reaction? Like, what is their, what's their damage that, is going to make the rest of this premise work. Like what's going on with them. And like Rob, I do like to find that out along the way. I am not a big planner ahead. I, I don't, I don't know my character's birthdays or their Zodiac signs. Right. I'm lucky if I know what color eyes and hair they have until midway through writing the book, whatever. <laughs> um, but I do really like to dive really deep into like, what would make somebody put up with this or do this? Or why would they react that way? What mm -hmm. happened to them? And so I do spend a lot of time thinking about and developing something that might not even be in the book, but what happened to them when they were in fourth grade that mm -hmm. made them react this way now, an adulthood or something like that. So um, that's how I, that's how I do it. So that's really fascinating. And I want to make sure I, I kind of understand it. It sounded like Rob said that, you know, he kind of, you have the story, Rob, and then how that the premise or the, what the circumstances, they impact the characters. And then you kind of build your character from that. And Megan said, you kind of, you do also have a premise, but you are going into your character and you're going to seek your character's flaws and build the story out of your character. Do I have that right? You think? I think so. Yeah. So, so I have the premise of then, you know, so here's my character. Oh, now how would they react to this? And then what happens from there? It's so helpful for people to hear your, your process, both of your processes and, and they could pick, you know, I'm going to try this one and then I'm going to try that one and whatever works best for them, they can take away. So yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah, that. I think you have to just have to do what works, like whatever, whatever feels natural. And, or sometimes even what feels natural for the story. Cause you know, you may write some stories, a certain way, but then, you know, you may find with a, another project, like, oh, you know, that doesn't really work. Like, I really need to do a little more thinking ahead mm -hmm. of time about how, how these steps are going to line up. It varies. That's yeah. even good advice too. It's like story to story. I might alter my process, right. Oh, Depending on the needs. Yeah. That leads right into my next question. Although I do have inklings on like where both of you <laughs> land. If you're a plotter, a pantser or a planter, for those in the audience who don't exactly know the terms, because I just learned about them, um, a plotter is someone who lays out all the details and notes for their story before they write. Pantser is just kind of stream of conscious, 
this story is going to go wherever it goes. And then Plancer is a mixture of the two. I guess we'll start with Megan. Where do you land in those three? I am absolutely a Plancer. I want to be a plotter, but I'm not. So I'll plan out the beginning and the end. The middle is a vast wonderland of what if. And so I might plan out a chapter or two ahead, or I might plan out certain chapters. I might plot out certain chapters, but mostly I'm I'm just like, all right, I'm going to write. And I write out of order. Okay. <laughs> we disagree very strongly on this. We do. I write out of order. <laughs> so I'll have a scene idea like, oh, okay, I know there needs to be the big reveal of the big bad, whatever it is, mm-hmm. whatever. If I'm feeling it that day, that's the scene I'm going to write. And then I might go back and write an earlier scene. I write a scene that's later than that. And then I stitch them all together at the end. That's so weird. <laughs> I think as long as you take as long as you take copious notes and have like a cork board, you hear lots of people talking about writing out of order. And honestly, as someone who just like you plans out like the beginning, the end and the middle is a how the hell are these characters going to get there? Well, that's what revision is for. I think that's, I I make a, my first draft is a mess. It is so messy. And then I love to go back and stitch it all together and find those things, something that I might've figured out about my character, you know, in one of the final scenes, but then I can go back through to the start and we start weaving it through from the beginning. I love that process. I'm first draft, more like second, third draft. That's where I really, I really love what I'm doing. I keep trying to plot though. I even got a program called Plotter and it's super exciting to plot out the whole thing. And then I don't look at it again and (laughs) forget that there was something in there that I was planning to do. I love how you talked about stitching the pieces together though. That Mm -hmm. gives me a really strong mental picture because when I think about writing out of order, I get a sense of panic. (laughs) I think I would get overwhelmed. I would forget what I'm doing, but I love the idea of stitching it together. I use Scrivener, which makes it so easy. It makes it so easy to just reorder all the, all the chapters. For, for me, it works. For him, I mean, you can speak about your loathing for mine. <laughs> I mean, I don't loathe it. I, I envy it. I think I wish I could do that. I just like, I don't, I like to start at the beginning and then just go. Like, I don't, I don't, I can't imagine just like writing out of order like that. For me, I'm totally a, uh, a pantser. I mean, I guess I, I guess I could be sort of a hybrid because I, I have like the premise, I have like, you know, the inciting incident that kicks off the story. And I typically have a sense of like, sort of like how it's going to end at least, you know, the action, like, you know, what, what, what's the climax of the story. But then as, as I write it and I figure out more about the character, I, you know, that's when you kind of figure out, okay, what's their internal struggle? What, what, what is their damage as, as Megan said, <laughs> that needs to also sort of be resolved at the end. And then, and then that kind of gets, mixed in there as well i know where it starts and basically more or less where it ends that's that's as much plotting as i do if i get stuck i go for a walk yeah i was gonna say it almost <laughs> sounds like I, I i don't do what you do megan either but i wonder if you um avoid that dreaded middle sag and rob i wonder if you don't you know do you guys ever kind of commiserate with each other about you know how your different processes create different problems for you so basically, what do I say? Every book that I'm writing, what do I say? Like you say that you can't write this. You, you're not you're not a good writer. There's no way you're ever going to finish this. Oh. You, know, you don't have the skills. <laughs> like get all those books up on the shelf. That kind of <laughs> speaks otherwise, but okay. Exhibit A, the bookshelf, right? <laughs> Every morning I sit in our living room and write and like over my shoulder is a ginormous bookshelf filled to the brim with her books. Like... It's like, don't tell me you can't write because there's 60 pounds of books up there that say different. <laughs> but we, we all go through the dark night of the soul as writers, right? So that's why we can write the dark night of the soul for our characters. And so I honestly, Megan and Rob, I love to hear that, that, you know, there are, there's those crises of confidence that make us human. I just reach a point where I'm like, I hate this. Why did I, why did I agree to write this? I don't even want to. This stinks. This is a terrible idea. And then I work through it. He's and, like, it's not a terrible idea. And the first time I heard that, I was like, oh gosh, this must be awful. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then like by the fourth or fifth book, I was just like, yeah, you know what? You got this. Don't, don't worry about it. You both in your different ways still have the dreaded sagging middle or whatever. And so you just can't get around it. That's what I'm hearing. But. There's always a point where I, I feel like I maybe 
a little bit stuck or oh, I just, I don't know what comes next. And that's why I write out of order. I mean, he is so disciplined. I mean, really every morning writing, however, you know, how awesome. you decide that you want to write. And I write more in like, okay, I'm not going to write. I'm doing other things for, you know, this period of time. And then I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to write. But when I write, I'm writing three, four or 5,000 words. Mm. Yeah. That's the wow. difference. She, she writes as a job. Like that's her, that's her living. And she, she will crank out three or 4,000, 5,000 words a day or more. I, it, for me, it's kind of just like a side thing, you know? So like I, on a good day, I write a thousand words a day. Usually it's closer to like 500 lately. But so I feel like for me, when I'm writing that little, like it's hard to get stuck because, you know, you just, you put in your 500 words and then you have like 23 hours to figure out what's going to happen next, you know? So like, it's, it's not, sure. I don't know, for me, it, it just works out. But if I was, if I was writing as, as much as, as she does, I like, yeah, I, I think I would be a lot more likely to get stuck and kind of like, or have that, you know, that middle lag or whatever and, and not know what, what the heck's going to happen next. But I, for me, it's such a drawn out process that it, that doesn't really happen too much. <laughs> well, I really like what both of you are saying, what, how you approach characters. And it really reminds me, I, I just got done watching the finale of Sandman and I, I've read a few, I've read quite a few of uh, Neil Gaiman's works. And I was really happy to see in one of the episodes that they talk about how you're just the author when you're writing a character, that's the character. You have no control as a writer over what the character does. And it, kind of feels like both of you have that sort of reverence towards the sovereignty of self for a character and like that's really commendable because you're not like pulling all these like little imaginary human strings to do what you want to do you stick with what they would do the story has to be true to the character and has to um like whatever we're wherever we're watching something um <laughs> and something happens where like what you said where it feels like these strings are being pulled megan megan always says like i i don't i feel i feel manipulated <laughs> i feel manipulated and i don't like it i yeah, hate it i hate to be manipulated i hate manipulation so like as as writers yeah we don't we can't manipulate our readers and certainly shouldn't manipulate our characters like we should it should all be true to all be true to the characters for sure yeah but i do also i guess it kind of retrofit it in a way because um, I've never been a writer that's like, oh, my muse, I have to wait for my muse or oh, my characters. <laughs> I tell my characters what they need to be doing, but they're like, I'm listening or I'm figuring out like, why would they be doing that? So again, if I, I have a story and I, these are the things that need to happen in the story, why would someone do this? How would they do it? Why is this their reaction? And sometimes it doesn't work. So that plot point will shift because here's the character that I've built and sure. here's why they would react this way. They wouldn't do this thing that I thought would work for a plot point. The character wouldn't do that. I'm not, and I'm not going to shoe or I try not to shoehorn it in there. So what can I write? What would they do instead? How would they react? Because I do hate that feeling. I'm, I, I hate the feeling watching something and reading something where it's so clear, like we need everyone to be locked in an elevator and then all the characters are like hey i know i was going to do this other thing but i just feel like going into the elevator for some reason. <laughs> that's a great yeah. example yeah. yeah you know and meanwhile the character was like i never use the elevator i always take the stairs but today i'm going to be in the elevator <laughs> because it's important that they be in the elevator and i i just i hate that i try not to do that so do your not do your characters ever do something and you let's say like two or three pages down the line, you're like, wow, I had no idea that this story was going to take that kind of turn. I mean, I, I feel like the, the best plot twists or plot points that, that I've had have been almost entirely spontaneous. Mm -hmm. Like they, they're certainly not planned. So whether it's, whether it's the characters running wild or it's the, the plot just kind of moving itself forward in a way that I didn't see coming, I, I don't know, but like, um, yeah, I think that the, those really the best moments are are kind of spontaneous and they just it's almost like the story's just kind of like flowing through you as opposed to you're, you know, like guiding the story along or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like I I totally like I don't know where they come from, but I'm glad that they come. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> well, what other types of insights can you offer to writers when it comes to process or craft or both, whichever you feel most connected to um, or feel that you have a unique understanding of? 
So when I'm talking to new writers or even writers that have been doing it for a while, I just, I am not a, I'm not a big fan of the, here's the one true way. Like, this is how you should do it. Everybody's process is different. And I think they're really like, give yourself the benefit of knowing that your process can change just because you wrote one book one way does not mean that's how you have to write it every time. They're they're not all going to be easy. Some are going to be easier than others. Some are going to be more fun than others. Some are going to take more time. I don't know, like having some kind of like tangible goal, whether it's each day, each week, whatever, whatever works for you. For me, it's, you know, however many words a day. So be it 500 words a day, a thousand words a day. If I'm really, really busy in life, 250 words a day. For me, it's, it's kind of important that I, I, I really try to write every day. Megan does not. Um, Cause I mean, she, you, you take off the weekends, you take off yeah. holidays and whatever. I, I really like to write every day. It's that's how it's part of my like morning ritual. It's, you know, I, I have my cup of coffee. I, I read a poem and then I write like, that's just part of my, I, for me, it's like habit and ritual, but I guess just, so I guess that's part of it too, is not only having goals, but also having like having sort of a ritual to it and making it something, it shouldn't be a chore. Like if it's a chore, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. You know, like it should be something you enjoy doing. Like, so I I would say finding ways to make it enjoyable and like, you know, and, and if, and if you used to love it and you don't anymore, figure out why and like, you know, uh, figure out how to make it a more, uh, a better experience. Yeah. I mean, you're not, especially if you're writing a long piece, you know, not a short story, you're not always going to love every day. You're not going to love every word. You're not going to love every chapter. Um, You're not going to love the process of writing every story. One time I was giving a, giving a talk and I kind of got like, I really riled up the room because I said, you know, (laughs) like if you can quit writing, then maybe you should. Mm, Good. The world's Mm. not going to end probably (laughs) (laughs) if you don't write, like if it, if it's just something that just doesn't, bring you joy. And I, and I mean, joy overall, because there are days when I sit down at my desk and I'm just like, this is the pits. <laughs> I don't know why I do this. This is horrible. <laughs> what was I thinking? Like I could do anything else in the world other than this. Um, but I never quit. Mm. And if, if it's not something that gives you joy or fulfillment in some way, then why are, there are so many other things that you can do in the world. <laughs> why force yourself to do something that doesn't make you in the end, doesn't make you happy. Those are words the writers need to hear. That's like the general, you know, why are we sitting down every day and, and facing a blank screen? So those, those are like the best words. I'm going to get a little bit more detailed. So like if you could give some kind of piece of advice, like about your specific craft, you know, like some kind of little magic bullet thing that you think has helped your actual, like once you're in the chair, once you've decided this is good, I'm going to write. Or, you know, what is, is, do you have anything that you thought, you know, I'm so glad I found this. It could be something really trivial that makes your process maybe smoother or that even if you want to frame it, like, I wish I could tell my younger writer self about this one trick I found. So for me, (laughs) what I find is I have a little portable keyboard. It's called an Alpha Smart and it was made sometime in the mid 2000s. And it's basically just a little word processing keyboard. And when I take that and I just sit with that, it doesn't connect to the internet. It doesn't have a big screen. It, I can't really edit on it. And I just write and I can get a thousand, 2000 words in an hour or two hours, whatever. I can just write and I have typos and I have, you know, my spacing's off yeah. or whatever. I just write. I'm not distracted by anything else. So for me, finding that thing that just lets you sit and the words are in, in your head and they come out through your fingers. For some people that might be writing by writing longhand or taking a laptop or changing your venue, not sitting at your desk, but going outside and sitting in your backyard or going to a coffee shop or something, whatever you can find that's going to give you that, that focus and the ability to just pay attention to writing and nothing else for whatever period of time. That is the thing that I find the most useful. That's really good. That, that reminds me of, um, is it Cal Newport who talks about deep work, Megan? So you are basically getting yourself in a position, no distractions, no notifications. I'm going to do deep work. And I I love it. That's great. And yeah. So how about you, Rob? For me, I think when I, when I first started writing, like I loved like making words, you know, like, and I, and I, I figured out very early on, like, you know, I could do like a, a thousand words in an hour. And like, so like, I felt accomplished, like I, I did this thing, but when it came to editing there, it, it wasn't, there wasn't the same kind of uh, quantifiable like goal for each day. 
Um, so what I did is like, I'm, cause I'm very numbers. I, I have like a spreadsheet for everything. And like, I figured out, like I made a spreadsheet, like figured out, okay, so if I'm doing writing, I can do a thousand words an hour. If I, if I'm doing like light edits or just kind of like a story read through, I can read, I can do this many pages. If I'm doing like deep editing, I can do this many pages. Like, so I figured out like for each kind of each stage of the writing process, what was a reasonable expectation based on how much time I should have? I don't know, for whatever reason that, that triggered something in, in me. And then that, that made actually the editing process seem so much more productive because otherwise it just felt kind of endless. You know what I mean? Like, and that's a lot of fun, but now I got to like do stuff with it. Like, that's yeah. like <laughs> and, but now I, I, and I, I feel like it really has made me enjoy editing more. Like I almost like editing as much as just the writing now, like, cause I, it's where you really get in there and like um, fine tune the words and make everything like tie together and all the things you've learned about the character along the way you can sprinkle in there. And um, so that, that's really been a game changer for me, I guess, just having quantifiable, uh, goals for each 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 writing day. Oh, I would add too, um, that it's really easy, especially with if you're active on social media, it's very easy to compare yourself to somebody else. Somebody else's word count, somebody else's publishing deal, somebody else's, you know, whatever it is. And really just mm-hmm. don't. You are you. Don't aim to be, I want to be the next Stephen King. No, there is a Stephen King. You be the next you. You be you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Write the stories that you want to write the process that works for you. And there's always going to be someone who's more successful than you and always someone who's going to be less successful than you. So don't focus on what everybody else is doing. Just focus on what gets your story written. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because like so many times us writers, we kind of exist in a vacuum in and of ourselves like we're kind of scared to ask anyone for industry advice or anything like that because we don't want to shoehorn in on their secrets so people might look to like social media or whatever and instagram is like terrible for body image and like teens recently so (laughs) i'm I'm sure it's terrible for writers to be like wow this writer is so successful why am i not doing that i think that's great like what you're saying and i think I feel like the reason people reach out to places like that is because they're scared to reach out to the real people. And I just hope maybe that people will like reach out to those real people. I think that's what's so great about the HWA is like, no matter what your level of noviceness is, you can ask someone and they'll be truthful with you. And hopefully you don't feel bad about yourself being like, wow, my word count is so low compared to theirs, or I haven't even published anything yet. I think horror writers are like, especially warm and friendly. And I mean, I've had, I've had more fun and more like positive interactions at at specifically at horror writing conventions than, you know, any other type of writing conference or convention I've been to, like horror writers are just cool. I mean, people do post sometimes, I think on social media, like, oh, I got a story rejection or whatever, but like, whatever, who's, po- you know what you're posting, you're posting your successes. It's very artificial. Yeah. I say that as a huge consumer of social media and I love it, but <laughs> it's very artificial and just, very. you know, you like, you do you do, do what's going to get your story out there in your process for yourself. For each of you, and I think I started first with Megan, so we'll start with Rob this time. What is your most recent piece that has been published? I actually have a uh, a new book coming out on uh, this coming Sunday, November 13th. It is the ninth book in my Scary Tales series, which is all mashups of uh, classic horror monsters and fairy tales. So this one is uh, that dreadful tower, a scary tale of Rapunzel and the Monster's Bride. So it's nice. Frankenstein's oh. bride, of, bride of Frankenstein, basically. Nice. Uh, so this is this is the series that started with uh, me and my daughter watching Snow White several times, <laughs> and it's just gone from there. <laughs> <laughs> and we it originally um, it was with a publisher called Stone Stonehouse Inc. and they shut their doors after I I think after the maybe the seventh book was, was published. And then it took a while to get the rights back. And now we're publishing them under our, uh, our Howling Unicorn Press imprint. 
That's very exciting. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to go with the most recent is moving forward because I have a release coming out in December mm. and it comes out on December 6th. And it is a domestic thriller called We Knew All Along. And I actually wrote it under pen name, which is Mina Hardy. Mina Hardy writes thrillers and suspense. So We Knew All Along is coming out from Crooked Lane Books in December. I'm really excited because when we're talking about things, you know, when you're writing, you're like, did you have that aha moment or whatever? Mm-hmm. This book, I had all of these things like, well, why would she do that? What the heck? <gasps> oh, yeah. What about this? And it's very twisty and turny. And I thought a lot about the movie, The Sixth Sense. Love that. Not like that at all. <laughs> but at the end of The Sixth Sense, when you go back and you're like, oh, in this scene, I see that. And mm-hmm. That. So I hope that readers at the end of We Knew All Along realize we knew all along. You just didn't mm. know until the <laughs> end that you knew. So which piece are you most proud of? I'm really proud of, I wrote a zombie apocalypse serial many years ago called The Resurrected. And I experimented with writing um it was like 10 to 20,000 word stories that I released and then now it's it's all collected into one but I'm really proud of it I think it was everything that I always wanted to read in a post-apocalyptic story with zombies and I loved writing it it was so much fun even now when I think about it certainly not every piece Mm -hmm. of it but there are some there's there's a chapter in there that I think it's chapter five I'm like wow this was really good. And I really love this. And so that's one of the things that I'm most proud of, I would say. And that is the the first thing I read of hers. Here's how we got together. She <laughs> oh, goody. Got, <laughs> she got a copy of uh, the first book in my Scary Tales series on a, a book, ba- book bub sale. It was like for free. She picked yeah. up a copy read it, started reading it on a treadmill, treadmill and stayed on the treadmill long enough to finish it. Yep. Um, wow. and, and then sent me a message afterwards. And uh, which is hilarious because like she is way more successful than me. And so the fact that she actually read one of my books first, I think is, I, I always think it's like really, really funny. But anyway, so Aww. she read it, sent me a very nice message. And then um, I think you interviewed me for your blog and then I interviewed you for mine. Yeah. And then she was giving out like kind of like reader copies, right? Of, of Yeah, of I was the... like, hey, anybody interest anybody who does reviews, I'd be happy to send you a free copy of The Resurrected if if you do them, you know, read it, no pressure, but and I read it and like so I, I asked for a copy and I read it and I was just blown away. Like it was it Aww. is and I tell everybody that you will never read a better zombie sex scene ever. Oh, <laughs> that sold it, right? It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, um, after that, we just, we started communicating more on social media and eventually we, um, got this idea to, to, to make an anthology of, of Ouija board horror stories, Yep. um, which we, when did we put that out in 2015? Yeah, it was 2015, I think, or maybe it was 2016. In a way that might be the thing that I'm most proud of because it, it's kind of, it kind of brought us together, but it also like incorporated like. Um, some other writers that we know. And I, I feel like we put together a really solid book. We did. <laughs> um, and yeah, and in the process, you know, kind of fell in love or whatever. So that's awesome. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. I love it. It is. It is. So Rob, you had alluded to a little bit ago about your Howling Unicorn Press venture. Would you just kind of go into that a little more into, into detail about that? You know, maybe some of the highlights of it or something you want to share about that whole venture? Probably the highlight of it is, so we we founded it to put out, to and the first project was to put out this anthology, uh, this Intersections, the Six Tales of Ouija Horror. We put that out. It was great. That was probably the highlight of the imprint. Because pretty much since then, it's kind of just, it's become like our our self-publishing, like when we get to get the rights back to things and, and whatever. And we, you know, it's, it's our, our way to put our own stuff out there. But we have... We are always like every few months, it's like, oh, we should do an anthology about this. Yeah. And we just haven't gotten around to it's it. It's just been, I, I, so 
I'm also really proud of Intersections and I think it was a really great book and, um, and it was so much fun doing it. We learned a lot and things that we would do differently. Um, mm-hmm. It just, you know, the way the world is like, you know, I had a big move to here and then I was only here for a little while and then COVID happened and it just hasn't really been conducive to, to really putting the time and effort and, you know, money into doing something where we would be able to pay authors yeah, and, and, that, and that's that would be the way that we want to do it. Like we'd want to be able to pay authors pro rates and right. and really put together a solid anthology. And we just haven't gotten the. I guess it's just at some point we're just going to get an idea that's so good. Yeah, like mm. a theme for an anthology that's so good that we just can't not do it. Yeah, if you're going to do it, you need to do it right. Yeah, agree. And um, not that we didn't do it right the first time, but we we have we learned a lot and mm-hmm. do some things differently and just I don't know. It's a lot of work and. That's fascinating. I think sometimes once you've done a thing, now you know what you're getting into. So you're going to step a little lighter into that water, right? And it's just, it does sound like a, just a a learning experience. And that sounds like a great way to use your press to get it off the ground. Like, I'm not really interested in becoming a publisher. I'm a a writer. And so I, being the publisher would be so, so much work and full time. And I really admire the people who oh, totally. put all that in. And I just, I, I would, I'm not ready to make that, that shift. We've gotten a pretty good idea of your, of uh, both of your writing styles. So I'm just going to pose the question to both of you, uh, which is how do you divide your time in between the creative endeavors? So the things you're actually writing versus all the goings-ons with the Howling Unicorn Press. Well, so we're not putting out a lot of stuff, so that's helpful. So if we know, <laughs> yeah, you know, like that helps. he's had book nine in the works for a while and finally said, I'm finally, you know, I'm finished with it. It's going to get edited and all this stuff. And we're going to work on a cover and we work on that together. The actual time to format it and upload it and all that, I just, I just build that into the schedule and make the book, send it to him see anything wrong he sends it back yeah you messed this up here these are 10 things that you know you need to fix and it goes back and forth but it's all it's I don't want to say casual because it's definitely something that we put the time and effort into but it's also on our own timeline so it's very different from working to a deadline where somebody else is making all those decisions about you know how how long it takes and with traditional publishing you know they're working like your editor's like okay I need to have your book by this time and then it comes you know you get your copy edits back and now I need it back this time. We, we're on our own time schedule. Yeah, which is probably why a, another reason why we haven't committed to doing an anthology because then it's involving other people, you know, and like then yeah. we have to then we have to be on their timeline or they have to be on ours, and that's just complicated. And it's so much easier when we just have like each other to be uh, beholden to. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it sounds <laughs> like you've struck a nice balance, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do, I have a balance between work that I'm writing for a publisher versus story ideas or something that I'm working on just for myself that I'm intending to self-publish or sending short stories or, or different things. So I am always working on something to a deadline, whether it's somebody else's deadline or it's my own deadline. It's basically what I, it's my full-time thing. So that's how that works. And sometimes I work, sometimes I get up really early and work at my desk early. And sometimes I sleep in and don't get to my desk as early, but he's like every morning at his computer writing away. So yeah. And that can be anywhere from a half hour to an hour. It just kind of depends. And, and that's strictly writing. And then, you know, any other kind of like, you know, marketing or like social media presence that just sort of happens throughout the day and in the evening and kind of more natural than anything else. Like I used to be a lot more I used to have like a very like, you know, I'm going to do this many posts today or what, you know, whatever. And I had a very organized approach and like, I kind of, I've just kind of gotten away from that. And I just kind of like, you know, I'm just going to post when I feel like it and we'll see what happens. I'm Um, glad you mentioned like an actual like writing amount of time because as someone who's an early riser, but doesn't always like wake up at the same time and who has a set job, but it's work right now, it's work from home still, thank God. Uh, I was really curious at, as to how you divvied up your time in the morning and how much. So I'm like, okay, half hour to an hour of writing. I could do that. I just have to get up. <laughs> yeah. And re- and really, it's very, it's very much to, like right now we're in the middle of like remodeling our kitchen. So like there's not as much, it's more like a half hour every morning, but eventually when things settle down, 
hopefully I can get back up to like actually getting up early enough that I can have an hour of writing each morning before I, I start my my actual work day. Because like you, I also I'm, I'm working at home mostly right now. That really definitely helps. I love being able to work at home. I have a really fun question. It's inspired by the actor's studio where they ask this question to every guest. What is your favorite swear word and why? Okay, so I'm going to have to go with fuck. That's pretty much like, you know, you can use it in any context. It can be happy. It can be sad. It can be an exclamation of surprise. I like I like balls, but that's not really like, like that's more like not even really a swear word. It's just like, but it's fun to say balls. <laughs> when I was when. My daughter and I were in New York. I was was walking down the street and I had, it was like, you know, you, you did these, these little glimpses of, of like dialogue from random people on the street. This guy, this, it was like this total like perfect New York moment, larger guy, he's on his cell phone. And like, I, I don't know what else was going on in the conversation, but all I heard was, and this was the big ball buster. <laughs> like, <laughs> think about that, like, at least once a day. I don't know what I, that just really stuck with me. Have um, you put that in a story that that line of dialogue or do you want to? I, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure I'm going to. I'm sure okay. I will. Yeah. I just haven't had a chance. Um, I also really I like, I like fuck nuts. I think fuck nuts is a good one. <laughs> fuck nuts. <laughs> I love this creativity. Yeah. 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 <laughs> one up in each other. Yeah. Um, so this has been great fun. I want to just kind of finish up with each of you can tell us how can, you know, other writers or readers best get in touch with you or just learn more about you guys. My website is robboley.com. That's R-O-B-B-O-L-E-Y.com. And I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter right now, but I don't know. Like I, I'm a, I'm a little iffy on Twitter at the moment. So that, that might be temporary. Um, and I'm also, I have a, a Facebook page. My website is meganhart.com, M-E-D-A-N-H-A-R-T. Also, there's minahardy.com. I have Instagram for me and my alter ego. I had Twitter for a long time, but I do not have it right now. I do have a Facebook page too. Um, it's Read in Bed. And there's also uh, howlingunicornpress.com. Is there any final advice that you have for our listeners? What it really boils down to is don't just talk about how much you want to write a book, write it and write it messy, write it dirty, write it out of order, write it in order, however you need to do it, but write it because you can fix it when it's done. But if you never finish it, well, you'll never publish it if it's not (laughs) done, first of all. And if you're not, if your goal is not aiming toward publication, you're just writing for the love of it or, you know, whatever, finish it, write it. Don't just talk about how you want to write it actually do it, whatever that takes. Well, it was really lovely talking to both of you and your the joy that you share together and you bring out in each other is absolutely beautiful. Um, it's even better because you love to write horror. So we appreciate all of that. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thank, thank you for having us. This was been, a lot of fun. Thank a, you. A lot of fun. Thank you. <laughs> this podcast is a project of the Ohio chapter of the Horror Writers Association. For more information about the Ohio chapter, please visit ohiowa.wordpress.com.